he has a fascinating insight into what it means for the Ebeshter to suspend everything so that he could give us what we deserve. What do you mean? Suspend everything? And what exactly is it that Hashem is going to give us? So where, where does this discussion begin? It's in our parish this week, at Apostle, where the Pasuk tells us, the Ebeshter says, I will turn to you, and I will increase you, and for now we're just going to translate also, as I will increase you. We'll see that Rashi explains it differently, and the Rebbe will tell us why. So starting off with the first part of the Pasuk, Pirish Rashi, Rashi says, what does it mean when Hashem says, I will turn towards you? I will veer aside from all of my engagements, the Shalim Scharchem, to repay your reward that you deserve. And then, as if we didn't get that, he explains, What could you compare this to? To a king who hired a whole lot of uh, workers. Rashi doesn't tell us anything further. As is explained in the Torah's Kohanim, a little bit later we'll see what the Torah's Kohanim says, and we'll see how Rashi and the Torah's Kohanim are not exactly sharing identical information. But before we get to that, let's first ask the high-level questions. Number one, what do we not understand about what Rashi is telling us, that David will turn aside from all of his other engagements and he'll uh, pay us our rewards? That Rashi had to refer us to a marshal. It's self-understood. David is going to pause whatever he's doing and reward us. So what do we need a, a marshal for? Based on the other hand, let's just say that there was something that was unclear. So then you've got to ask, so it's not clear, therefore you're using a marshal to clarify. How does the marshal actually add more insight, more understanding to the story? It actually sounds exactly the same thing. The king has all of his workers, and then he says to the workers, hang on a second, I'm going to deal with this specific worker. So it doesn't really seem to add any depth for us. Beyond that, it's not the first time that Rashi has spoken along these lines that David pauses everything to deal with people. Earlier in Prasha Sachri, the Gabi Yisuddam, where he talks about the Torah tells us that we're forbidden to eat blood. And similarly, in the, towards the end of Parashas Kedoshim, we were told that a person is not allowed to put their children through the ritual called Moilech, where they pass them through the fires. So Pirish Rashi, Al Derech Pirosh In both of those situations, Rashi gives commentary, which is very similar to our commentary over here, except that it's on a negative message. So there the Torah says, Munasati Ponai, that Hashem says, I will place my face. Says Rashi, what does it mean, Ponai? Ponai Shali, my time. I'm going to pause and turn away from everything else that I'm doing and deal with this particular individual. Vesham Loi Hosef Shum Moshal. And to explain it in those situations, Rashi was very happy to just say that the Ebeshter will stop what he's doing and he'll pay attention to us. And he didn't feel the need to give a marshal to explain what it is. So why here do we need a marshal? And especially when it doesn't seem like the marshal adds any further information. And then, let's just talk about the marshal itself for a second. What's the expression of the marshal? What can we compare this to? A king who hired workers. You've got to explain that. It's not only kings who hire workers. And even when a king does hire workers, that's not something which is because of his stature and greatness as a king. Therefore, he has the opportunity to hire workers. You and I could do it as well. The reality is that any person could hire workers, and we do hire workers in practice. So the marshal should have said, that this is similar to a case of a person who employed a whole lot of people. And then he pauses whatever he's doing to give the appropriate reward to the outstanding worker who did more than all the other workers as the marshal continues over the entire Kehanim. So why does, it, why does it have to be a king? So let's try an, an approach. Perhaps to answer this, we have to ask another question. Seeing as Rashi already in Pashas Achreimois and in Pashas Kedoshim already explained what Vinos Sati Ponai means, that I turn my face. Or a variation of the theme where Hashem says, I will turn my face. 
In both cases, Rashi told us that that means that Abisha turns away from whatever he is doing and focuses on this particular individual. So the simple question is, Why does Rashi have to explain something? He has already explained, because we know that Rashi doesn't do that. If he's already given us an explanation, he trusts that by the time we learn information that is similar, we'll remember what he's told us before. Especially when you consider that what Rashi is telling us in each of these cases is when it says something along the lines of I will turn my face, it means I will turn my attention, I'll put aside whatever else I'm doing and focus on this. The truth is, you only really have to explain that if the word is ponai my face. When you have the word face, Penosati ponai, Rashi has to explain. It doesn't literally mean Hashem's face. It means ponai from the expression penai, my time. And he has to explain to us that it means that Hashem will divert his time and attention to this particular individual. But in our case, the Torah doesn't say ponai. It says, ufonisi, I will turn alechem to you. Is it not self-understood that that means that David will turn away from whatever else he was doing at the time and he'll now turn to us? Who needs a marshal? Who needs an explanation at all? So once we try to answer that question, perhaps that will help us understand what's going on. So let's try and explain. In Parashas Achri, we told us not to eat blood and then it said, and similarly, when we talk about the person who is uh, warned against putting his children through the Moilech ritual, in both of those cases, the Torah is talking about an individual, the individual who eats blood, the individual who puts their children through the Moilech ritual. So then you could understand that David says, I move my face, my time, that that's actually a Chiddush. That David turns away from whatever else he's doing and diverts his attention to this individual. There Rashi would have to explain this because that's surprising that David would suspend the needs of the majority, of, of, the, of the broader public in order to care for the specific attention to deal with this person who has transgressed. So there Rashi would have to explain it. Whereas in our parish, here we're talking about the whole Jewish nation. They just says, I'm turning to all of you. So, Mr. There you have the question. Then we have to answer what's going on over here? That David is going to stop doing everything he does to reward us? The engagement that David has with us to reward us. For what? For doing Torah mitzvahs, which are integral to the entire purpose of creation. Is that not part of David focus? That he turns away from everything he's focused on to give us attention? That doesn't make sense. Ah, so maybe maybe that's why Rashi had to explain it again in our parasha, and specifically in our parasha. That even when the expression is that David is going to turn to the whole Jewish people. And you would think that the, the focus on the Jewish people is already part and parcel of the main thrust of David's engagement. Still, nevertheless, the Torah is still describing it as Hashem turning away from everything else that he does to be able to give us reward. Why would he do that? Why would it be that context? David is turning away from everything else as if we're not part of everything else. So to answer that, he'd bring the Moshal. Like the story of the king who had many workers, and now he turns his attention on the excellent worker as explained in Teras Kehanim. And let's have a look. What does the Teras Kehanim say? That it's a king who hired many employees. There was one of those employees who worked for days on end. In other words, he was really dedicated. All the workers came to get paid. And that outstanding worker came with them. 
The king says, let me first deal with all the ordinary workers and I'll pay them. And then I'll turn my attention to you because you need special attention. Let's get rid of the riffraff and we'll deal with the extraordinary person. And that would then translate into an imshal. The Jewish people request reward for us having served Hashem. As the other nations of the world also ask for their reward. So Hashem said to the Jewish people, I'm getting to you. Because everybody else is getting a very ordinary kind of reward. But you, the Jewish people, you're going to get a spectacular reward. So perhaps that's what Rashi wants to illustrate to us. That guess what? Yes, there's an ASIC of sharing reward with the entire world. And then Hashem turns away from how he deals with everybody else to get to the unique way that he deals with us. And we must also move on that would then explain to us Asha Aleph number one. That Moshe would clarify that there are other worthy recipients of Hashem's reward, the other so-called workers. And that is part of the Abishta's uh, engagement. Number two, those other nations are like many different workers. Whereas we, the Jewish people, are a single, and we could even say singular, special, unique worker. And third, the reward to the rest of the world happens now in this world. I'm going to pay you now. Whereas the reward for the Jewish people is a spiritual reward for the next world. That's why F now, I'm getting to you. We'll deal with you later. As the Mephoshim explained. So it sounds like a beautiful explanation, right? And I'll please then move in gun that will also help us to understand some of the questions we've raised about Rashi. Aleph. The idea of saying that Hashem turns away from all of the things that he's engaged with in order to give us attention. That does make sense when dealing with the reward for the Jewish people. Because when we talk about the Abishta's responsibility, so to speak, or his engagement, part of that engagement is to reward everybody else who's out there. Whereas when it comes to repaying our reward, the Bnei Yisrael of the Jewish people, who get that is another category of reward that does not belong in the normal engagement of the Abishah with the world. The has got to turn away from the normal engagement. And instead of engaging only in the here and now, to engage with something of lasting value that will be given to us in Olam Habo. And and that would also explain why the Moshe is specifically about a king. Because who typically uh, hires many, many, many servants? Typically a king. So that all fits together. Now this is a beautiful explanation and it makes absolute sense in the context of Torah's Koyhanim, but it doesn't really work for Rashi. This explanation is not going to suit Rashi, whose entire approach is always the simplest understanding of the Pesukim. Share. Let's assume that this is what Rashi wanted to illustrate to us, that Abishtha is in the business of rewarding the entire humanity, and then he turns away from that, okay, you're the people to get your reward in this world, let's look at the special, outstanding servant the Jewish people and give their reward in the next world. If that's what Rashi wanted to tell us, then he would have have quoted from the Torah's Kahanim the continuation, because that's critical. That helps give us the context. That there were many workers, and then there's the one worker who's unique. Or at the very least, he should have indicated that there are many workers, not just the one. Because that is fundamental to this particular explanation that David says ASIC is a whole lot of workers and then he pulls out the one. It's certainly not a very clear explanation just to put it in etc. And then so go look it up in Torah's Koyhanim. And therefore, we have no option but to say, that really the key element that Rashi needs to address that Ebisha turns away from whatever else he's doing so as to give us reward. 
כבר נמצא בטבע שהעתק רש"י. All of that is clearly expressed in the words that Rashi did quote from the Torah Skanim, which are, Moshel Lamah Hadov Adoim Lamelech Shesoch Apoyanim, that you'll understand it from the Moshel of a king who hired workers. Um, yes, a prota Moshel, and the other details that follow later in Torah Skanim, that there were many workers, and one was outstanding, Loi Noisav Chidosh Ba'avonis Peshat HaMikra, those parts of the story are not going to add insight into our understanding of this particular Pasuk. Which is why Rashi was happy with an etc. The words Rashi has quoted, those are the words that are key for us understanding what the messages of turning from everything that Bishra is doing in order to give us reward. Now, before we can get to unpack that fully, we need to see what Rashi says next about the next part of the Pasuk. So then the next thing Rashi is going to do is explain the words which I'll call you, cause you to be fruitful. Says Rashi, that means literally to be able to have, please God, many children. Then he says, which means I'll multiply you. There Rashi doesn't translate it as you would expect. He explains, that you'll stand with upright stature. Obvious question, right? We have to understand. In Parashas Bereshis, Rashi said the word which means be fruitful, means that one person gives birth to one person and say who? Urevul, the fact that it is immediately followed by the word and multiply. Fruitful means that a person has a child. Multiply means that one person could become the ancestor of many, many others. So they themselves could have more than one child and their children have more than one child. So how come over here does Rashi now seem to say something very different to Bereshis? Where under the word Vehifresi, which is like the word Peru, to be fruitful, he includes the word Verivia, and not under the word Vehirbesi, which seems to make a lot of sense. So the Mephoshim point out that Rashi could not give the same explanation here as he does in Bereshis. Because the idea of having children, Peru, having one child, is natural. There's no special Brocha in that. But here our parasha is talking about special, unique brachas that Hashem is promising the Jewish people. In other words, things that are not natural. The Mephoshim say, Vephrasi has to mean that an ordinary person, Peru, would just have one child, and yet the brachas, even at that stage, will already have many more. So naturally then the basic can't just more, be more quantity because then you're just repeating the same bracha again and again. And the river Beichis becomes kufa. It must mean that there's some qualitative bracha that is shared at this point, which is we'll have this, this great stature in the world. That's how the Mephoshim explain it. But it's not clear. The idea of one person having more than one child is not unique to the Jewish people. You see that in the nations of the world as well. They also have growth rates. So what exactly is the bracha to say that you will be fruitful and multiply and have many, many children? What's so unique about this? So now, to understand all of this, We've got to find the core issue that Rashi is bothered by. The difficulty with understanding the words in the Pasuk that say, and I will turn my attention towards you. What's difficult about it? Okay, so what's our go-to explanation? Let's explain like we said in Pasha Sachrimois, that David turns his attention from everything else that he's doing and now focuses on us. That David is going to turn his attention and give us reward. So that might be valid, but if that's the case, that should have been stated right at the beginning of the parasha. Straight after the words that say, If you will follow my statutes, and you'll guard my mitzvahs, and you'll do them, then, as an introduction to all of the other brachas that are going to come in the parasha, it should have said, 
If you do that, I'll turn to you and give the brachas that are about to follow. Alternatively, Alternatively, it should have been the last thing that was stated, right at the end of all of the brachas, has the summary. Like both in Pasha Zachim and Kedoshim, where it tells us first what the person does wrong, and then it says, and Hashem turns to them. So what's unusual about this Pasuk is not just the words in the case of Achimois and Kedoshim, it's the words that caught Rashi's attention. Over here, it's the placement of the words also that catches attention. The fact that the Torah stuck these words of Phonisi Aleichem in the middle of the description of specific brochas, and various types of rewards that we'd get for Torah Mitzvahs, that would make you think that the words of Phanisa Alechem in this parasha you would think it doesn't mean that I'll turn my attention to you because logic would say I'll turn my attention to you and do the following or logic would say I'll do all of the following because I've turned my face to you the fact that it's part of a list of a whole lot of brochas and a whole lot of rewards for doing Torah mitzvahs makes you think that maybe this is also a unique reward that you get for Torah mitzvahs. That's why Rashi has to explain. Even in our parasha, where the placement of these words does seem odd. The meaning of these words is still that I'm going to turn away from everything else that I'm engaged with and give you your reward. I why then put it in the middle? The reason that that statement was inserted in the middle of a list of different brochas and types of reward and not at the beginning, that's what Rashi qualifies for us by giving us the Moshal of the King. Now, before we get there, we need to think for a moment, what's the difference between when you and I hire workers versus when the King hires workers. You see, we didn't stop to think about that. Does a king have to pay his workers? The fact that ordinary people, even people who have very high rank in the government, have to hire people to work for them. And they have to pay for it. Move on, we understand. Because you can't force somebody to work for you. So you have to pay them. That's the incentive. Why does a king doesn't have that problem that he has to pay? Seeing as the king is the ruler, every citizen is obligated to do whatever the king tells them, payment or not. Move on so straight away that should make you think if the king is paying these workers, it must be that the king is getting them to do something they are not obligated to do, either for the king or for the benefit of the country. Because all of that would have already been done before he had to now go and hire people. Anything the king needs, anything the country needs, should be taken care of by the citizens of the country under the king's instruction. So now that he's paying people to work, that tells you, It must be that whatever these particular jobs are, are not critical to the sustainability of the country or to the needs of the king. So therefore, the only way to ensure that these tasks would be done, you've got to pay these people to get the work done. And not only pay, you might even have to pay top dollar because it's not a job they have to do. And that's where Rashi is telling us the Torah goes in this parasha. Because what is this parasha? The parasha starts off with which means what appears Rashi, as Rashi himself tells us, it doesn't just simply mean doing mitzvahs. It means that people toil in learning Torah. In other words, they don't just learn Torah according to the allocation of how much Torah a Jewish person is required to study 
They're pushing themselves to learn beyond what the requirements of Torah learning are. The same thing about keeping mitzvahs. That what is the definition of mitzvahs That you should exert yourself in Torah learning so that you can keep mitzvahs in the best way possible. Now, this type of observance of Torah mitzvahs, which is beyond the strict requirements of the Torah, that would be the equivalent of people who are being hired by the king because what they're being asked to do, they're not obligated to do. Because they're going to do work that an ordinary citizen is exempt from doing. That's this parasha about when Jewish people go beyond the requirement of the law to invest in Torah and to keep mitzvahs at the highest standard. It is self-understood that if we push ourselves to do Torah and mitzvahs in a way that is more than required, then obviously the reward that we get is more than expected. And that would explain why the words that Hashem is going to turn his attention are placed in the middle, not as an introduction or conclusion to the parasha with the list of all the rewards. Because Seeing as we've now defined as going beyond the requirements of Torah to invest and exert oneself in Torah. So obviously, that would then include, obviously, if you keep Torah as much as you should. If we're dealing with people who are learning more Torah than they should, well, obviously, then they've also learned as much as they had to. Because as the Pasuk says, and you will keep the mitzvahs, which includes all the mitzvahs, and one of the mitzvahs is to learn Torah. So that would be included. So in other words, by virtue of the fact that we're dealing over here we're with the Jewish people are learning Torah and applying themselves to mitzvahs beyond the requirement, the Jews now deserve two different kinds of reward. The first reward that they deserve is for discharging their responsibility to learn Torah as required. So for that, you should get entry-level reward. Then, in addition to that, they should have a special reward for exertion in Torah, for keeping Torah mitzvahs beyond what is expected. And that's exactly what you're going to see in the parasha. They promise two kinds of reward. First, First, the parasha is going to tell us, you keep Torah as required, you get the simple, uh, so to speak, entry-level rewards. Normal rewards, expected rewards. Generally speaking, it's kind of represented by the idea of getting rain at the right time, which means pretty much you have what you need. And after describing that ordinary, accessible, expected reward, in the middle of the conversation, then the, the Torah says, and guess what? Beyond that, there's another class of reward which is coming to the Jewish people, not for having done the bare minimum, but because they push themselves beyond what is required and they completely invested in Torah and therefore for Nisei David turns to them. I know in other words, that when responding to that degree of avoid Hashem, where we exert ourselves, for that we get a far higher, superior kind of reward. And that is described as they were turning away from everything else and focusing on us. So, let's start with the first kind of reward. Where we do exactly what is expected of us, and therefore we get the reward that we would expect to receive. You can't call that, they are turning away from everything usual to reward us. 
because that's actually a normal experience that even the non-Jews of the world can access. They do what is expected of them. They keep the seven Noachat laws. And for that, they get the reward that is coming to them. Which incidentally would also include learning those areas of halacha that are directly relevant to their lives as non-Jewish people. So they get reward and we get reward. It's not identical, but it's the same class of reward. Reward for doing what you're supposed to. But when it comes to the unique, totally different reward, which is for the person who invests and exerts in learning Torah, which is comparable to the king who had to hire people because what they're doing is beyond what they're required to do, that is not accessible to the rest of the world. There we could say that Abisha turns away from everything, including reward, including reward to Jewish people. In the ordinary category, he's got to turn away from that to this unique category of overwhelming reward. I, you'll ask, but Rashi refers, like in the Teres Kehanim, to a king who hired many workers. Which implies that there are other workers, not only the Jewish worker, who had to be paid, and our whole premise is that if you have to be paid, it means it's something you don't have to do. That would translate that would imply that even non-Jewish people can serve Hashem in a way that is beyond the requirement for which they should deserve unique special reward. So it's true. There's the possibility. That's because there's a small fraction of the non-Jewish world who are the righteous amongst the nations, who do go beyond what is required of them. But it's important to note, as the marshal does note, even when they push themselves beyond the black and white of their requirements, it comes nowhere near to the real greatness of the Jewish people when they are exert, when they exert themselves in Torah. And therefore, the very unique attitude that Abisha takes only to the Jewish people is when it comes to rewarding us for our our super dedication. That Abisha turns away from everything that exists, including reward, including reward for the Chesidim uh, Masoilam, to give us what we need. Abisha changing channels to a totally different kind of reward, which is even beyond the special bonus reward for Chesidim Masoilam. So, what's Rashi telling us? There are two steps to the reward regular reward for regular avoider and then in the middle we switch tracks to the unique reward which is only for unique avoider in that unique reward there's vehifresi vehirbesi now we can understand why rashi explains those words as he does now we understand why when rashi gets to the word vehifresi he already says vehifresi is piriavirivia why because we already know at that point that we are now discussing the kind of reward which is over the top, unbelievable reward, not finite by the book. This is now a very special engagement from the Ebishta to us where he turns away from everything else so as to give us this opportunity. And that's only this is exclusive to the Jewish people. So then, so you can't now say is period. One child has one adult has one child. is rivia that one parent has many children. As we said before, such a bracha is not unique to the Jewish people. 
Therefore, says Rashi, It must be that already at the moment when Debeshta says you will be fruitful, that is already a unique kind of bracha, which is completely out of the ordinary. And is the result of this unique attention that Hashem directs towards us. Therefore, Rashi immediately says, just that word of Ephrasi on its own is loirak it's not only one-to-one growth, it's one-to-many growth. One person has many children. Which means, Rashi is telling us much more than just the fact that this word means multiple children and grandchildren, etc., to tell us first the person will have one child and subsequently they'll have more. Elorashi is telling us it's not just a conglomerate of two brochas in one word, it's a fundamentally different kind of brocha of period. The message is that the kind of period in this scenario is Rivia. What does that mean? in the rest of the world. The word Peru, the concept of Peru, the biological process of Peru, is one child from one adult. And it's possible that that one child may not have the opportunity to birth other children. Could be infertile. Whereas when the same word Vifresi is applied to the Jewish people, the implication is that the moment that one child is born, that child is guaranteed to also be able to be fertile. The brocha is that this one child will create an unbroken chain throughout history, which we've already seen earlier in history. As it says by Avram, what does David just say to Avram Sorry, there's that word. I will increase his seed. What will I give him? One child. And even though it's one child, that one child is already called Rivia. That's what Rashi says. Vihifresi means that both Piria and Rivia, the one child, will have this potential of many more children already from the beginning, a guarantee of fertility. How could David just say it to Avram Avinu? Because even though Yitzchak was one son to Avram Avinu, Yitzchak's lineage is a huge amount of people. And needless to say, if the guarantee is that every one child that is born is effectively a fountain of fertility, then you can be assured that they'll definitely have the bracha that you'll have more than one child yourself. Because that even the non-Jewish world could have. So now Rashi says, If the word Vifresi, as we've just explained, has to automatically already include a tremendous growth in quantity, so then you have no choice. Then the next word can't be even more increase in quantity because that would be superfluous. Must mean a different kind of increase, a qualitative increase, like we said before. And putting it back into the context that David is giving a unique reward for a unique dedication, so it must be a unique bracha. Therefore, Rashi explains what does it mean. It will have great stature. Which means, not only will we have the fulfillment of the promise that the Novi already gave to Rivka Imenu, that the younger brother would dominate the older brother, the older brother Esau would serve the younger. Beyond that, by virtue of the fact that David gives the special attention to the younger brother, which is the Jewish people, not only will he be a Tzair, younger, junior brother, that yet has the senior, older, bigger, larger, stronger brother serving him, but he'll actually become the greater brother.
but there's still one little issue that we have to resolve, and that is the language that Rashi uses, Miloshin Rashi, when Rashi says, He says, I will turn away from all of my work to reward you. And rather than saying, I'll turn away from everything else that I'm doing and focus my attention on you, that implies that still raises the question that it sounds now like the unique reward that the Eibishter gives us for doing a mailing batura, real dedication to is actually not part of the Eibishter's so-called uh, focus. So why, in fact, would rewarding the Jewish people not qualify as part of the Eibishter's, so to speak, occupation? To that we have to answer as follows. Asher ufonisya leichem, the idea of Hashem turning to us, mevateinian omoik yoiser minatir devaisaskus shebeisek. Ufonisya leichem means that something is happening at that point in time that is altogether deeper than whatever happens when Abishta is oisek, when Abishta is, so to speak, engaged with the world. What does that mean? So let's understand what's Asek. So let's understand, what is the deeper meaning of this concept, ASEC, engagement, occupation? What, what does it really mean? If you're talking about a human here on earth, if a person is occupied, it basically means, I am I, who is currently occupied in something outside of myself. It's occupying me. It's taking up my time and attention. It's not me. In other words, which means at the time that a person is occupied with a particular way of working or doing things, at that point the person is not themselves. You're not, so to speak, engaging with their essence. That's how it is in humans. And this could be applied loosely to how it is with Eibishter, so to speak. Fundamentally, the Eibishter cannot be shared, revealed, brought down into our reality. It's not possible. It's beyond revelation. It's beyond definition. It's beyond expression. So any time that Eibishter is sharing with the world, giving to the world, empowering the world, it's Davishter being occupied with an external concept. And we could say the reason is because the source of all of these brochas and all of the uh, founding and running of the world is all from elements of Kedusha, which are the product of the Abishta rather than the essence of the Abishta. Now we can understand why the Ebishter says, I'm going to turn away from everything that is an occupation. I am going to turn to you. That I am occupied with, you I'm going to turn to. The concept of the entire existence, which happens at every nanosecond, of all of the worlds, right up to the highest spiritual realm. Even the concept of reward and punishment as it ordinarily plays out, even with regards to Jewish people, all of that is purely what the Abish is willing to share with us. Like, for example, we say about Gan Eden, that Gan Eden is where Neshamas appreciate and enjoy Ziv HaShchina, the radiance of the Shechina, not unbridled godliness, a radiance, a, 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 a glimmer of greatness. So therefore, all of that can fit into the broad category of asokai, the things that I step out of my truest self in order to engage. Every one of those things, the existence of the world, reward and punishment, even for the Jewish people, they're all a matter of how Hashem diminishes His infinite essence into a particular mold to affect a particular result. 
But the moment the Jewish people served Abishta, how? Through exertion and toil and push themselves beyond themselves. Much more than what we are instructed to do. Which means we're not doing the mitzvahs as something that occupies us. Something external that we commit ourselves to using specific tools at our disposal, many of which may in fact be more external or superficial. We're talking about a melim, where a person is totally invested with the depth of self in this particular learning of Torah or doing of mitzvahs. Which is why a person is doing more than necessary because they're invested. They're not on the clock. They're not doing a nine to five. They're not working for an employer. This is them. This is what they care for. They just always respond to us in line with how we behave. For that... That arouses from the Ebeshter that the Ebeshter will turn himself towards us. Meaning, That means that the Ebeshter is now going to turn the essence of his being in the direction of this person. A dimension of Ebeshter which is the true God. Beyond anything that is shared, defined, explained, revealed. I'm going to turn away from everything that fits into the category of ASIC. Everything that fits into the category of external, of radiated, of shared. Which allows the opportunity for true oneness between we, the people, and Hashem. You can take it even one step further. The parameters of a created being are A created being has to be a recipient in order to exist. Recipient of energy. Recipient of David's choice that they should exist. That applies right after the highest possible creations that exist. And it even applies to the greatest energies that possibly exist. All of them, in, in the most gen- general sense, are recipients of something greater than themselves. So even a very powerful aura, there has to be a ma'or, a source of light, that they are makabal from, that they get their energy from. And therefore, even in a scenario where a higher, more developed energy or being gives influences or it vitalizes something lower, it's not a true mashpia because they're essentially just a conduit. They're receiving a huge amount of energy and transferring it. So, for example, if you have a substation, it's not the source of energy for the electricity in your home because it's receiving from the power station. So even though relative to us, it looks like a mashpia, it's giving us power, the reality is it doesn't have power of its own. It's reliant on the power at the original power station to, so to speak, give it life. The truest mashpia giver source that relies on zero input from the outside, is only Hashem at Hashem's essence. As long as any of us only learns Torah and does mitzvahs as required, then we are receiving. There's an instruction. That's what guides and empowers us. So we act based on the input of that instruction. We receive the Abish's directive and then we follow it. But if a person engages in Torah learning beyond what is required, then the person is not just getting a list of instructions and following them. The person is actually contributing. The fact that they're using their own talents, abilities, choices, volition. At that point, the person becomes creator-esque. At that moment, here on earth, that human being is reflecting the essence of who they are. Which is an ashama rooted in the essence of Hashem. 
And therefore, they elicit the kind of response and reward which comes from Hashem's essence. What's the greatest reward? That David's essence turns towards and connects with them. So what does it play out in? Says Rashi, the ability to share, to create new life, not just to share to an existing recipient, but to create the recipient. Even though, in addition to the fact that generally in Hasidus, we say the capacity to give birth, to produce new life, is something that relies on the power of the infinite. But when we're talking about a very unique context, with Abish just turning his essence towards the person, then every brocha has infinite potential. The piria is piria verivia. Like we said before. Where every single individual birth is actually the potential for an unlimited amount of births still to come. But there's still something we need to understand because behemshah brochas. Later on in the brochas. After the Ebesha said that he's going to turn his attention to us. Then the Pasuk starts talking about like really tangible physical things. Now you've just said that Ebesha's essence is being shared with us. And it's this amazing beyond the realm of all Asak. And now you start telling me and there's going to be this good thing and that good thing. How do you link it? How do you link more money in the bank account or crops or whatever the physical brochures might be? How do you link that back to Hashem's essence? So this is a critical issue. If we were discussing here that Abish is going to give us spiritual energies, each of which might be completely infinite. Or at the very least, Debesh is going to reveal elements of brocha or divine energy, whatever it is to us. And you'd say, okay, Debesh is sharing things which are so sublime and so esoteric and so unfettered. Obviously, they can't fit into our world. The only way in is that they have to be filtered, they have to be downgraded, they have to be dumbed down. As I if that were the case, then in that reality where higher there's more revelation and lower the revelation had to be dumbed down, then the greater the brocha, the more you would expect to see godliness because you're on a scaled environment. Higher up, greater than my place is more God to see. But that's not what we're discussing here. Here we're discussing the Ibishtha's essence, which has no definition or limits that you could apply to it. Therefore, this is a brocha that can even appear as, and maybe dafka appears as, physical. To be expressed in physical goodness that has no limits, which is the atmos, which is not locked into amount, so it's all the brocha in the world, and it's not locked into how it presents itself, so it doesn't have to be locked into the spiritual world. It can be takhlis, things that we need in our lives because it's Hashem's essence. Now you might say that's still not clear, because Yes, it might be acceptable to believe and to understand that when you're talking about Hashem's essence, there are no rules to limit where and how it could manifest, so it could manifest in tremendous physical goodness. How does that come anywhere close to what we're saying? They were just turning to us, which means that that the concept is that we and Hashem become one. So, so how does that relate to having more money in the bank or a fancier car or, or whatever the other brochures might be? Number two, 
Even when it talks about Abisha directing his full essence towards us, linking us with his essence, Rashi still calls it reward, your reward. Still defines it in the concept of reward. Doesn't the word schar imply that somebody did work for which they deserve payment or reward? Which must mean that the payer and the payee, the employer and the employee, the king and the worker are obviously not the same. Otherwise, how do you pay from one to the other if you're both the same? Doesn't make sense. Let's go back to what we tried to debunk. If you were talking about rewards that Debush is going to give us, which are all in a calibrated, rated level of how much God reveals, then then as we know, or no amount of additional revelation will ever expose Hashem's essence. It will just be more revelation. All revelation can put us in touch with is the Abishta in a state of sharing, which means in a state of limiting. Like we know in ourselves, the more you explain to somebody and the better they're understanding what you're saying still means you're in the state of sharing, giving, not in the state of making you meet. So it, it wouldn't be possible, just like Giluim cannot reveal godliness, they can't make us one with Hashem. But we're not describing that, right? We're describing this linkage of Hashem turning His essence to us how can you use the word schar? Schar works for Gilui. So the answer to that is the truth is that even when you discuss this avoider of toiling and exerting ourselves in Torah, which as we've said earlier, is an expression of the deepest part of our neshama, still, there's still two ways in which this could play out. Aleph. One way is, it's possible that the person has reached a point where the essence of his neshama is guiding and motivating his behavior. That's why he's doing much more than he has to. But he still has a particular goal and aspiration, which is, the person wants to be one with Abishad. That's why he's trying and pushing so hard. In that case, because the person has a personal agenda that is part of the process, that implies that there's still a little bit of self, which is not one with Hashem's essence. The fact that he wishes to be one with Hashem's essence, that is something that exists and lives inside him. One possibility. Second possibility, a person's dedication to Hashem has no personal considerations, no personal aspirations. Not even the motivation, I want to be one with Hashem. As great an ideal that is, that's not even the, 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 um, the aspiration. Why is this person doing Torah mitzvahs with tremendous engagement and involvement? Because that's what they wants. So there can be no restrictions. A person who is capable of doing that. Just dedication. Only what David wants. I have no personal vested interest. Such a person can touch and experience David essence. Because there are two possible ways that a person could have this tremendous uh, degree of dedication, therefore it is possible there could be two ways of the Ebesha, so to speak, turning towards them. As long as a person is working in the first way, which means they, I, I still, I want to be one with Hashem. That's what's driving me. I want to be one with Hashem. That leaves a person, that leaves self in the mix. The wish to be one with Hashem. 
As long as that happens, even when Ebishta turns to that person, and Ebishta creates this incredible bond with that Jew and Hashem's essence via their tremendous work in Torah. It will happen in such a way that the person will still identify themselves independently. So you could still call it a reward. The person who identifies as separate from Hashem's essence gets the reward of being connected to the essence. And that's why the Torah will then go into a whole lot of Gashmistika rewards. Because there is still the possibility of this person's self-awareness. We could still consider the fact that the person has needs, including physical needs, and they have to be provided. When a person reaches ultimate avoidance, without any need for a particular outcome, or without any particular aspiration. Then the Eibishter's response to that person is perfect. That's alluded to at the end of the parasha, where the Eibishter says, I will lead you upright. Koimimimus is a double expression of upright. That the so-called stature of the Eibishter, and the stature of the Jewish people, become one and the same stature, the Jews and the king, the Ebeshah, are absolutely 